Father, we are so blessed, so, so blessed to be able to be in your presence, to experience your presence like your tangible presence. Continue to minister us, minister to us as I bring your word. Continue to speak to our hearts. Continue to pour yourself out upon us. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful worship. Okay, so, so far in this series on the lessons of the life of David, we've seen how Saul was first anointed as king, but because of his disobedience and insecurities, the anointing of king was taken from him and given to David, but the position remained with Saul. We've seen how David slew Goliath and the friendship, bond and covenant that was established between David and Jonathan, Saul's son, how that came about. We've seen David being brought into Saul's household as a musician to play for the king, to bring soothing to Saul because of the spiritual torment he was experiencing due to the anointing being taken away from him. How this drove him to jealousy and he tried to kill David with his spear as David was playing for him. And when unsuccessful, he devises other ways to get David killed. He sends David into battle against the Philistines on numerous occasions, but David is always triumphant and stays alive. Last week, Andy looked at why Saul was rejected by God for the sin of disobedience, while David was not, despite his sins of adultery and murder. How David was repentant, while Saul, although he was sorry, He was not repentant, and he still was looking for the approval of man. Now, if you've missed any of these sermons, they're all available on the Grace Vineyard YouTube channel or on the church website, and you can see them all there. So today I want to go back to the time just after David had married Saul's daughter, Michael, and how Saul openly declares that David is to be killed, then changes his mind, and then changes it again. I'll look at how David responds to this threat and what happens to Saul as he pursues David and what we can learn from this. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistines. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You sought and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put 
to death. 1 Samuel 19, 1 to 6. Oh, what's that? <laughs> Saul's behavior towards David is so erratic. He sees reason and sense when he is calm and settled. But when he is under attack from the evil spirit, his mind and behavior becomes unstable and irrational. If someone behaved like this today, they would be under medical supervision and on serious medication. But would it be seen, be seen as, a, as spiritual oppression and not a chemical imbalance? I very much doubt it. Saul sees reason, and David returns to serve, serve Saul once more as soldier and musician and as husband to Michael. But how long can it last? And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reports to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow. So they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image, a statue, and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with the clothes. 1 Samuel 19, 7-13 Saul's sanity does not last very long before he once more comes under spiritual oppression and tries to kill David again. Once again, David evades Saul's spear and this time he's convinced by his wife to flee from Saul because she fears for his life. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth, 1 Samuel 19, 18. Saul finds out where David is and sends men to capture him. But something very interesting happened. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing his head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Seku. And he asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Naoth in Ramah. And he went there to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of the Spirit of God came upon him also, and as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul among, also among the prophets? 1 Samuel 19, 20-24 David had fled from Saul, but Saul is still determined to have David killed. So he sends men to go and capture him. As they come into the presence of Samuel and the prophets who are busy prophesying, they are overcome by the Spirit of God and begin to prophesy too. 
And this happens to all three groups uh, that Saul sends to him. So he decides to go himself. And the same thing happens to him. Saul begins to prophesy even before he gets to Samuel and the prophets. And once he's in their presence, he strips off his robes and lies naked, prophesying. As the Spirit of God comes upon Samuel, he's compelled to strip off his kingly robes and lie naked before the prophets and God. The anointing of king has been removed from, from Saul and given to David, but Saul was still wearing the robes of the king. But in the presence of God and the prophets, he could not continue to wear these robes, so he strips down to who he really is, just a man before God who is now empowered by the Spirit of God to prophesy as he is no longer burdened by the robes of kingship. It is interesting to see that the evil spirit that tormented Saul could not come anywhere close to being in the presence of the prophets prophesying. Saul began to prophesy even before he came into the presence of the prophets. And when he was in the presence of the prophets, he stripped off his robes and continued to prophesy. As I was reading and pondering this portion of the text, it reminded me of a similar scenario found in the Gospel of Mark. And they, that's Jesus and his disciples, came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Mark 10, 46-52 Bartimaeus threw off his cloak, then got up and went to Jesus. The cloak that he threw off was a cloak that signaled to passers-by that he was a beggar because he was somehow physically disabled. He could have been mute or crippled or, as in his case, blind. So he had to beg to survive. Bartimaeus threw off his cloak and then came to Jesus. That's why Jesus asked Bartimaeus what he wanted Jesus to do for him. He was no longer wearing his cloak that designated, designated him as a blind beggar. How many of us are wearing cloaks or robes that we should not be wearing? That they might, that at this time, what cloaks are we wearing? They might be cloaks of doubt. Cloaks of worry, cloaks of fear, of insecurity, cloaks of not being good enough, of not achieving our potential. Or you could be wearing robes of rejection, of self-pity, robes of comparison or anxiety. You choose. There's a number of things that you could look at and add to that list. These are cloaks and robes that God has not given us to wear. They have been put on us by the devil, who is the father of lies, and tries to bring doubt, fear, worry, insecurity, rejection, comparison, anxiety, etc., 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 into our lives to pull us down, to make us question if God is really for us. 
that God really loves us. We need to be like Saul and, Bar- and Bartimaeus and cast aside these robes and cloaks. We are to cast aside these lies of the devil. We are no longer to accept them and live with them. They do not define us. The devil does not decide our identity. God does. We are children of the living God, loved by him. He decides our identity. So how do we cast off these robes and cloaks, these lies of the devil? As Jill shared at the beginning of the meeting last week about what came out of the Saturday morning prayer meeting, we are to put on the armor of God because we are in a battle a spiritual battle against principalities and powers that are not of this world. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Ephesians 6, 10-18. We should know that, and it's been spoken about already today, or referred to already today in our worship. So how do we put on the armor of God? We speak God's word over us. That's prophesying. Prophesying is such a powerful weapon that God has given us. When we speak out the word of God, especially in times of trouble, there is a release that takes place in the heavenly realm that manifests in the physical realm. Read the scriptures aloud. Read the scriptures aloud. Read them over yourself. Don't just read them quietly within your mind. Read them aloud. There is power in the spoken word. Watch the way you speak about yourself and about others. Don't speak negatively about yourself or about others. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 18.21 There is power in our words. Let's make sure we speak positively about ourselves and of others. If what you have to say about someone is not going to edify them or build them up, then rather not say it, even if you say it in love. Rather, let us be like the psalmist. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. For those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Psalm 71, verse 24. In other ways, we sing God's word over us. That's worship what we've been doing already this morning. Sing the Psalms in your own words, like Andy did last week. When we worship, we're declaring into the heavenly realm who God is, what He has done, what He promises to do. We do it individually and corporately. 
We are, as we sang today, worshipping warriors. Thanks, Mark, for such a powerful song. Pray with one another. The next thing, pray with one another. That fellowship. How many of us have prayer partners? Jill does, but I don't, which I know is not a good thing. Getting together regularly to pray with and for one another is powerful. That is why the devil does everything to stop it. Ask God who you should be praying with regularly. It doesn't necessarily need to be someone from this church, but sometimes it helps if it is, especially when praying for things affecting grace or the people of Grace Winwick. Praying together. Next one is be part of the church meeting. Midweek and Sundays. That's discipleship. Being part of a midweek group is so important, not just for the teachings that take place in them, but for all the things that happen within the group, the dynamics that happen within the group, for WhatsApp messages that go between people in the group when somebody's having a problem and we get onto one another and we know what's happening in people's lives. Coming together on, on Sunday is also so important. This is the time and place that you can be a blessing. And in being a blessing, you will be blessed. Remember Marty's dream where she sh shared of us standing shoulder to shoulder. This is where we do it. On Sundays, in the midweek meetings, and with your prayer partners. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Praying in tongues. This is when you pray spirit to spirit. Our spirit connects with God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. When we pray in tongues, we build are built up. We build ourselves up when we pray in tongues. We don't understand what we are praying, but we don't need to. But our spirit is connected with the Holy Spirit at these times. And something happens in the spiritual realm that we can't see, but we know is happening. And you pray in tongues until you feel you've prayed enough. You can't say anything more. And then you know something has happened. Whatever it was that God had placed in your spirit to pray into, you know it's being dealt with or being dealt with. So pray in tongues. These are ways that we can ensure that we're able to stand strong, having put on the armor of God. Then we'll be ready for any battle the devil brings against us. And I believe God is taking us into a time of battle now. We are in a battle. We are engaged in spiritual warfare with the powers and principalities. There's more and more and more of it happening. There's so much happening in the world today that we could be praying into and we should be praying into. Jesus has already won the war. We've got to remember that. Jesus has already won the war. But there are still battles that, need, that, that we, we will encounter, that we need to do, deal with as we live our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. We will be engaged in battle. The war has been won. Jesus is victorious, as we sang in Worshipping Warriors. Jesus is victorious. He's won the war, but the battle continues. In order to do any of this, you need to be a child of God. You need to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you haven't, 
you need to make sure that you do before you can engage in any of this. Because otherwise, it's just you on your own being deceived by the devil that you are good enough to be able to do this. You need to have submitted your life to Jesus Christ, invited him to be Lord and Savior. And to then you can go into all of this. Then you can do all these things. Amen. Amen. So, discussion questions. First one, as normal, what stood out for you in this talk? Okay. Secondly, when you come under attack from the enemy, how do you ensure you are dressed in the armor of God and ready to combat the enemy? What do you do? What is your strategy for dealing with the enemy, for preparing yourself, getting yourself ready? Do you ever, thirdly, do you ever find yourself thinking you're speaking negatively about yourself, wearing a cloak that you shouldn't be wearing? What can you do about this? Okay, discuss and pray, and then pray for one another. Especially if you've answered something in to number three. Pray for one another. Pray into those situations. Okay, thank you for those of you that have been watching this online. I trust that you will spend some time looking at these.